Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we speak with Dr. Jay Carney, a professor of theology and African studies and the director of the Christian Spirituality Program at Creighton, a Jesuit university. Dr. Carney writes about Catholic theology and sport and teaches specialized courses in sport and spirituality, also reconciliation and African Christianity. Dr. Carney mixes wit and wisdom to convey deep theological insights in an entertaining and understandable way. A great conversation, so let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have Jay Carney with us on the show. Jay, uh, tell us a little bit about sport in your life. Hey, Chad and Brian, it's great to be with you here. Uh, and sport in my life, well, like so many growing up in the 80s and 90s, I was a super fan. <laughs> I I, re- I became a St. Louis Cardinals fan during the 1982 World Series when they won it all and I was living there. And then I lived in exile in Washington, D.C., but retained all of my Cardinals gear. Picked up the Orioles. My my father is not a big sports fan, but like a lot of Irish Catholics, he loved Notre Dame. So I lived and died with the Irish for many years. I played soccer growing up uh, and tennis as well. Those are kind of my two passions on a participatory level. To be honest, I maybe never quite reached the level I hoped to. In, in my head. I mean, I played, but I reached a point, particularly as a teenager, where I was kind of hit in the ceiling. I, I, kept, I kept playing particularly tennis through high school. Uh, but yeah, and then as I got older, of course, got a little, you know, some into coaching, particularly with my kids. Uh, and then, you know, got maybe a little more into athletics, you could say. I started running after college, largely for Rush relief, uh, and then that kind of grew into long distance running. I've done some triathlons. I like to cycle to work. So my wife, who actually was a college soccer player, so it's like much more successful than I was the young. But she likes to joke. She's like, you know, you're a lifelong learner, <laughs> you know, a <laughs> lifelong sportsman, and, and I just admire that. It's like it's like every great athlete. Like, it feels like a left handed compliment. You're like, thank you. I feel. <laughs> But I have tried throughout my life to continue to gauge sport as a fan, uh, you know, as a coach and as a spectator. Well, it feels like there's something about being in graduate school that lends itself to like the 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 distance world of sports, right? <laughs> there's something that's reflective about those practices. So glad to hear that you've done that you did some of that in the midst of your athletic journey. Appreciate it. Um, tell yeah. us a little about faith in your life. Sure. So I grew up in, uh, yeah, I uh, practicing a pretty serious Catholic Christian family and, and in a, it, generally in a healthy way. I mean, sometimes religiosity and families can go a lot of different ways. Uh, I think in my family was pretty healthy. It was serious, but not in a kind of repressive way. I felt like my parents were both people of deep faith. My father maybe trended more intellectual. My mother was a lay minister, a youth minister in my parish. Uh, but they, between the two of them, I think really gave me good models for that. I, I was engaged myself growing up. I was, I went to public state schools, but I 
was really involved in my youth group. Uh, so did a lot, I, you know, sort of, yeah, I'd say it's always been substantive. And in some ways, my interest in theology you know, grew out of that type of personal commitment and, and then also being an intellectual, the desire to try to integrate that, make better sense of my faith. And then also, you know, be, feel very humbled to have the opportunity then to walk with students and help them on similar journeys. Well, Jay, I think we can all resonate with the idea that we were never quite the athlete that we dreamed we could be. Uh, I know Chad has, has lamented that many, many times. Often. That's, Often. Yeah. It's my life story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I joke, yeah. I teach a course here called Sport and Spirituality, and I'll you know, and sometimes, as you guys know, in these circles, there is a certain sort of street cred, like, well, yeah, where, where'd you play ball? You know, or like, where'd you coach? So I'll start off the class, like, you know, uh, is it all American linebacker at Alabama in the late 90s? And then the students look at me like 5'9", 158, I'm like, just kidding. You know, that's not, you know. Yeah, just kidding. I, I met Notre Dame. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah, so it's good to hear you guys have had similar aspirations and realities in your life so yeah but don't tell anyone yeah we're, we're, we're we got a ruse going here so we're going to keep that's that right, up. that's right that's right yeah so i wonder if we could start there uh you're you're uh an academic and you're teaching a class on sport and spirituality how did you arrive at a place that that was going to be something you studied sure well, to be honest, in graduate school, I really didn't study it. I mean, I obviously, like I told you earlier, I was engaged in sport in many levels in my personal life. But it wasn't until I was teaching here at Creighton University, which is a Jesuit college in Omaha, Nebraska, with a pretty big sports profile, particularly in basketball and volleyball. Uh, and my colleague, Max Engel, uh, who also, again, has coached a lot, played a lot, was a rower in college. And he came to me and said, you know, Chad, we... You know, there used to be a guy in philosophy here who did sport and issues, but he's retired. There's nobody really doing this, you know, outside of exercise science. We have a big exercise science program. We have a good sports business program. But, you know, the kind of intersections we were looking at with faith and values and morality and going a little bit deeper theologically, we just weren't seeing a lot. Uh, so we, the two of us then developed a course. We got a course grant from Creighton and then we're able to launch it. Uh, this was back in 2017. We team taught it for a couple of years and then ultimately we've been teaching separately, but we've always collaborated on it. So in many ways, the book that we later collaborated with our friend Matt Hoven grew out of teaching in the course and you know, a desire to really walk with students and to try to push them a little bit deeper theologically on, on the questions of sport. So the book seems to be, uh, well, first of all, show this is, you're talking about Randy, Randy Fazell, who, who was working in. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Randy Fazell. Uh-huh. Uh, wonderful philosopher. So you're, you're, you're there in good company. Um, the, the book is in many ways, you know, a, a primer to, to the Catholic faith it, as much as it is a connection to to sport, I mean, I feel like there's just so many sort of basic principles that are at play there. And I'm just curious about the ways in which the three of you put this together. I mean, talk about the ways in which you you work together, you bring your different sort of areas of expertise to this project. Uh, what is it that sort of, how did you work together and what is it that drove that project? Sure. Well, I got to thank you guys because it was the conference you hosted up in Grand Rapids back in 2019. Uh, the big sport theology conference that kind of gave us the, we had been talking about it, but it, it was over like a couple beers down at founders <laughs> that we 
that we that we really put i don't know if that should go out public founders has launched a lot of books exactly (laughs) no doubt not the first rodeo for yeah but you know it really gave us and that was just a wonderful gathering you guys did i mean just to listen to the breadth of thought there and for the three of us to sit down and really talk about okay what would it mean to put flesh on this uh of course none of us knew at that time there was a huge pandemic coming but that also kind of shut us down in a way. And we, it's not that we didn't have other things going, but, you know, with this project really ran like we're doing here through Zoom. You know, we had phone calls. Max and I see each other a lot. We'd bike together and talk through stuff. Uh, but I think the fact that the three of us have been friends going back to graduate school uh, and are all people who can you know, keep a sense of humor and take a critique you know, it was like really, really important in co-writing a book because, you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you want to try to meld those voices. You really need to learn from each other. Uh, and I think we all were, you know, had something to contribute. I, I do think the book's better for all three of us having done it. But I think we also grew through the process. You know, there were just there were directions we ended up in that, you know, where the it, you know, Matt jokes, it really was a team effort. And it, you know, the final product, I think, was, yeah, it was it really grew out of all the conversations we had. So, uh, yeah, so the writing process was about two years or so. And then drafting, sharing drafts with each other, getting feedback from folks like you, which is, you know, especially Chad. I mean, your feedback was really invaluable for us. So, um, yeah, so I guess that that was kind of broadly the process of the book. Well, yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. It's a lot of energy and a terrific product in the end. Uh, great to have uh, voices that are willing to kind of listen and work back and forth. Uh, outstanding, um, it, you know, product in the end, but also I think a good process as we all kind of talk to each other, which is what we try to do at our at our Congress. Um, and the next one's actually coming up in 2025. We'd invite you to come to that as well. Oh, we'll talk great. more about that in the next few years. So yeah, I'm, wondering, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if you, you know, as a person who is really putting sport under the theological microscope, ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out where it fits in society. I wonder if I could pose just the, the question, do you think sport is is at this point underutilized as a as a potential for good, or would you say that that it's overplayed? Which way would you, <laughs> which way would you lean on that one? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I might say, I actually think sports underutilized theologically, and I think that's partly what was the impetus of the book. There's there's as you all know, there's a lot of good literature on faith witnesses in sport. There's, you know, a, a fair amount around, I think, ethics, you know, ethics questions, obviously, that all plays a role. But particularly in the Catholic world, uh, you know, something a little more substantive and systematic and thinking about questions of transcendence and sacramentality and eschatology and other words that your listeners don't understand. Not, <laughs> you know, or us. And then, you know, that's right. but, but, you know, what we found with students is that often theology again for it's like okay what is it why do i care why do i have to take this class but they love sport and then when you start to break things down such as you know that experience that deep experience you had of of you know where you really felt kind of called out of yourself and that team like that's what sacramentality is right or you know that experience you know that the hope that drove you all season right and then you reach the point and you lost in the final but Still, you were in the championship. Like that's eschatological vision, you know, or freedom. Like 
that sense where you really had to let go of your own sense of just complete personal autonomy and give that up to the team and the coach. That's what Christians mean by freedom. It's it's like, you know, it's flourishing within boundaries. And, you know, and so in that sense, I think to go back to your question, it's kind of been underplayed and we try to do that. I think in a broader society, it may be overplayed. Uh, and so part of what we try to do in the book and in our teaching is to say, listen, the good is is a complex thing. And there's a deep tradition around that theologically and philosophically. Uh, and we we think sport does a lot of good for people, but there, it's also marked by shadows. There's a lot of corruption. I mean, going back to Augustine, sin is always a corruption of the good. And often the better something is, the worse the sin is, right? So, you know, so just to have a more of an honest appraisal of it uh, and to have a more serious conversation, what do we mean by the good? What do we mean by faith? You know, what do we mean by saying that you can find God in sport? We believe that, but we don't want to just throw it out there as a loose line. We really want to want to talk about it. So it seems like the, the book does a great job of exploring those theological topics, and it gets beyond um, what what a lot of literature on sport and Catholicism starts with, which is uh, the popes in the last hundred years have begun talking about sport. And because right. they've been begun talking about sport, that gives us that that means that they they find some they've spoken in some ways positively about it, right at least offering ways in which we can participate in sport in in meaningful ways as Christians. The book gets beyond that, not necessarily. I mean, the depth is is in its theology. It also there are also great deal benefits from hearing what comes from the Holy See regarding sport mm. and. This is this is a segue for me to to be talking about, or to get you to talk about the recent discussion that you led at DePaul, the recent presentation you mm-hmm. made um, mm-hmm. relating to sport and, and Catholicism and development and sport and the good. Give us a synopsis of the ways in which that that talk, uh, well, what that talk was, and the ways in which that maybe builds on some of the work from the Eighth Day. Sure. Right. So, I mean, one, going back to Brian's question, I mean, one of the public intersections that's been very prominent with sport in recent decades is around conflict and reconciliation. And, and there are all sorts, as, as you all know, I mean, all sorts of kind of, you know, sports ministries, sports organizations, whether in Northern Ireland or Nigeria and all over trying to work at these kinds of intersections. And, and to be fair, sport often can bring people together in ways that, our, our political groupings, our religious groupings are simply not, or sometimes are even making exacerbating the differences. So, uh, but the talk was designed as a, echoing what I said earlier, not just to assume that, and even to be honest in some of the papal writings, I mean, sometimes it's more of an assertion than an actual, okay, like what, you could say sport builds peace. Okay. What does that mean? And also like we have horrible fan clubs that kill people. <laughs> like Anybody who, you know, watch the, you know, my, the Catholic college incarnate word, you know, and the, 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 the little uh, hand line after that game. I mean, we weren't exactly reflecting Catholic values in the, <laughs> in the depth there. So, you know, in some ways, again, looking at both sides of this, why often has sports sometimes facilitated conflict? And, and I mean, I think an under, an underlying message of that talk is it often is fan-based and, and that's something I think we need to talk about. I mean, we often think of sport in terms of coaching and athletics and that's important, but the fan experience is important for many. It shapes their identity. It's often 
as we get older and my, you know, as I said earlier, my less than spectacular sporting career is even less than spectacular now that I'm in my forties, <laughs> um, you know, and so you kind of double down on the fan experience, but it, 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 you know, fandom itself can become very toxic. Uh, and, you know, just look at message boards, look at talk radio, look at what's going on in stadiums. And so, I think that needs to be interrogated and then, you know, okay, why is it that we're getting so, you know, wrapped up and in some cases, even in violent ways, I think what I've seen in sport and what comes out in the talk is that often players, you know, the experience on the field, on the pitch, you know, is much more positive, much more constructive. And there's, there obviously are exceptions to this, but I think athletes respect each other. I think they compete hard, but often can walk away and say, you know, thank you for pushing me and, you know, we can move forward. I think coaches maybe sometimes can be in between, you know, those realities. Uh, but I do think the popes and particularly Pope Francis has really tried to say, listen, sport can serve humanity. It can serve the good of the human person, but we need to be intentional about how we're forming coaches and chaplains, how uni Catholic universities are, be are thinking about this in terms of how we're forming athletes. And to recognize that that type of formation that we hope ultimately serves peace, conflict resolution, the good of everybody involved is something that just doesn't happen between the lines. It, it needs to be a broader formation that's going on, you know, well outside of the game itself. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, like, I mean, on the front end of that, you talked about the fan experience and I, I'm going to put myself on the couch now here and, and you can go ahead and dissect, uh, you know, I'm in a kind of a fan lull right now. I, the, the teams I follow are either done Detroit lions, you know, made a nice run there. Um, and then, you know, baseball is not quite there yet. You know, spring training, my, the basketball team I follow is just not good. Uh, and the <laughs> golf team I coach is, you know, we haven't had a tournament in, in a while. We're waiting for the snow to melt. And, and so I, I found myself in a little bit of a, kind of a depression about that um <laughs> yeah so uh i like i said go ahead and get after it. i wonder should i in my faith can you imagine a space where i actually grow in my fandom uh mm. as i as i get older or do, or do you think I'm, i actually I, i'm gonna separate a little bit from from that as i as i become more spiritually mature uh-huh yeah that's a good question uh your comments remind me, this is something our friend Matt Hoven said back in 2020, you know, when sports just shut down for several months and you just felt like, like the world's not right. <laughs> I, yeah. I remember my kids and I gathering around a screen and watching, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in the, the 2020 Kentucky Derby, they did a turtle derby and they had these, <laughs> these, these tortoises <laughs> with like Kentucky Derby colors. I mean, this is how desperate we were for, uh, uh, that's an addict. <laughs> that's definitely an addict. <laughs> so I do think, and again, this maybe reflects a Catholic perspective, but we're in the midst of the Lenten season. And I do think Lent is a, it's a call to sacrifice. And in some ways it's a call to detachment. Uh, I, I think it, at its, at its healthiest Lent is really about looking at my priorities in my life. And as you said, things that are good, but maybe I have, I have too much attachment to or something. If I really, really can't detach, then maybe I need to ask myself why, right? Especially if it's not directly about my relationship with Christ or my relationship with my loved ones. 
so for me, sport fandom often is in that mix. And for many years, I actually didn't have cable <laughs> because I just thought, like, I need to detach. I need to like show myself, you know, almost like a like a former alcoholic that I, you know, that I can I can <laughs> I can go without ESPN yeah. and other. Uh, but I think there, yeah, I think there. I mean, my wife has even said to me, I, which I think she means as a compliment, but she says, you know, compared to when you were in your twenties. You're a lot more balanced. Like if Arkansas, because I went to the University of Arkansas, like if Arkansas loses, like you don't, you don't just lose it. <laughs> like, you know, you you still care, but and and at first I thought like, do I need to you know turn my fan card in or? <laughs> yeah. Because again, I do think I mean the root meaning of fan is fanatic, and I do mm-hmm. think that there's a there can be this false idea that like only the hardcore, like unless you're just super hardcore, but and that's where I think something like. Thomas Aquinas is this is again kind of Catholic theology, but utrapelia, like the well balanced, the moderate life, is is helpful. And it doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you don't cheer. Uh, but I have found as I've gotten older, yeah, I still I still care. I still uh, I'd love to see the Razorbacks actually get back to a bowl game. You know, I'd love to see. Uh, yeah, but you know, there's a way where it's okay. Is that really really as important as even, for example, my own kids' events or? you know, what's going on in my church or what's going on in my family. So I think, yeah, I don't, I think we don't want to just be like Puritans and just say, well, you know, sports just ridiculous. And it's, I don't think that's true, but I do think we want to say, listen, it's a good thing. It's a limited good though. It's don't make it an idol and keep your, to quote, you know, to again, to echo Augustine, keep your relationships in order and don't let it get, you know, I, I don't need to be buried in my Razorback gear. <laughs> you know, that's just, so <laughs> it seems like, yeah, there's plenty of, of jokes there about Arkansas having a rough season this year. I, I'll try to refrain, refrain from I know, this. boy, up in Michigan, it was like the, the eschaton came in there for, I mean, if the Lions had run the table, you guys might have just, I don't know. Yeah, I, we could die now. I mean, we've made it to the end. <laughs> That's right. Brian had a permagrin like all of December and January. It was just oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, oh well. So, what, what, what role would like? So, you talk about uh, being a fan, right? That's that's a part of the basis of this talk, and thinking about what it means to be a fan, and and how that that fits in with with our theological views. I'm I'm curious of your thoughts related to what agency or what responsibilities a fan might have to the community of fans for a particular team. You know, let's say. Mm. Let's say, for instance, you know, Brian uh, sits among, when he goes to Detroit Lions games once or twice a year, he's sitting among 70,000 people. Um, let's say that something something goes wrong with the Lions. Or there, there's clearly uh, improper, immoral behavior within the organization or all of the fans mm. start, start chanting something negatively towards the opposing team or something like that. You know, what what agency does a fan have towards the community is is, is my question here. What we might not have any, but what responsibility do we have? How does a Christian fan think about mm. the ways in which they are part of these communities that might go yeah. corrupt? No, that's good. This is there's a Jesuit principle and Ignatian pedagogy, kind of the way Jesuits approach teaching. It's called anticipatory reflection. And it's not unique to Jesuits, but I think it's something for your question is important is almost as a Christian to imagine yourself in certain circumstances before they happen. Right. So, I mean, I was in a case, you know, a couple, it was a high school football game a couple months ago where some people were just cursing 
right? And in hindsight, I feel like I probably should have said something to him. Instead, I just kind of moved my daughter and like, you know, we went away. But I think sometimes if you don't do anticipatory reflection, you our natural tendency is to kind of shut down. And sometimes that's the right call. You don't always want to exaggerate, but sometimes I think we do need to speak up and speak out. Uh, and I, it's almost like I think about, even if you think of Jesus's witness, obviously I don't want to compare these two circumstances, but to me, the agony in the garden is all about anticipatory reflection. It's just, I, in a sense, these bad things are going to come. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself. And I think, I think that there's a way where, fans to do that and to do again what Jesuits call an exam and kind of looking both looking backward how have I engaged these things whether on fan boards whether in stadiums whether maybe in other networks and then how might I change going forward so the exam always says okay what do I learn from but how can I also grow as I move forward and I think I think there could be some real fruit in that because you know all these things are are shaped by us. Right. And we all have agency and sometimes it only takes a few to, you know, to, to, you could say to move the narrative in, in a healthy way. So, yeah. So thanks for the question. I think that's, it's an important thing for us to all grapple with, not just in the crisis moment, but even long before that happens. Yeah, yeah no, I think that's a really good uh, value for us to, to consider the, it struck me as you were talking about that anticipatory reflection that that's really the path of the athlete in in terms of psychology. You're thinking about I just talked to my team recently about anticipating here's my plan A, but something bad's going to happen uh, along the path, and we want to think about that so it doesn't surprise us. And what is mm. going to be our reaction? What's going to be our moment? So the athlete actually spends a lot of time sort of preparing for those better moments and worse moments, and how do I how do I handle them? And mm-hmm. as fans, we kind of turn off, right? We, we, right. that engagement kind of goes away. It's a little less, um, focused, I think when we, when we enter fanaticism, but I do think, uh, particularly in those environments that are more personal, I, I don't know how many times I've sat at a, at a high school event or a middle school event and had that same thing happen, right? Where, mm-hmm. where around me, things are happening that, uh, you know, we're, we're called really to step into. So right. I really like I like that uh, that label or that phrase, uh, that process. Jay, this has been uh, fantastic. I love the idea that we've had this just sort of whetted the appetite. I wonder if we could close this out just by how could folks inter- interact with what you do? Um, just talk a little bit about maybe uh, some work that you've done or think that things that you're going to do in the future related to sport and faith. Sure. Well, one thing I didn't get into is I, a lot of my research has actually engaged the African context. And so, you know, one thing I'd say to listeners is just, you know, look at sport outside the U.S. And I mean, as and even this book we wrote, I mean, we've had a lot of positive reviews. We've had some European reviewers say it's so American. <laughs> like, all <laughs> your fan cases <laughs> like football, you know, another and not the real football. Right. So, right. you know, but I would say, you know, expand, expand the horizon. I mean, there's a lot to learn from sport around the world. Like one of the cases I talked about at DePaul was from a refugee sports program in Northern Uganda. That's, you know, really tried to build, basically do peace building work among refugees and with the local community. And, you know, so we can learn a lot from, you know, from others. And I, my hope is that I think Max and I here in Omaha are trying to figure out ways to engage, you know, the local church, the local schools. We've had some good talks with 
both people in theology and athletic directors, you know, so say, okay, well, what does this mean to actually try to implement this in terms of formation of athletes and coaches? And then Matt and Max and I have talked about, well, is there another volume you know, in there mm. somewhere, you know, down the road, maybe something around the witness of athletes. Cause uh, whether Catholic or otherwise, we kind of have this Catholic niche, although I don't want to be overly sectarian, but I, I do think sometimes Catholics compare, I think evangelicals do a very good job of, I think, really witnessing to the faith in sports. Sometimes Catholics are a little quieter, which isn't all bad, but I think I find students are often really drawn by the testimonies of athletes, coaches, and others showing how is my faith really shaped what I'm doing. And so we've talked about, well, maybe there's a project there that we could get at that might bring out some of these kind of Catholic witnesses in sport a little more, you know, a little more strongly. So, well, it's great work. Uh, keep doing it, Jay Carney. Uh, uh, wonderful uh, contributions already, and and uh, a lot to go. We're really excited to uh, have this conversation, and we're looking forward to talk to you again as as new projects uh, keep coming through the pipeline. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Brian and Chad. It's been great to be with you, and yeah, I really appreciate the time and the conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life Podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life. Mm-hmm.